In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. In June of 1945, my father, about three years old in Niagara Falls, uh, New York, was standing out on the back stoop of his parents' house, uh, looking down the alley, waiting for his baby sister to be delivered. That's where deliveries were made, was to the back porch, and so that's where he went and waited for her. Uh, His understanding of delivery changed a little bit after that day and saw that she was not going to be delivered by the milkman on the back porch. Uh, And I'm sure that as he grew into adolescence, his uh, understanding of uh, delivering a child became different. And then when he was in the delivery room with my mother, a whole different kind of experience, right, Uh, that changes your understanding. Uh, Does that mean that he was completely wrong as a three-year-old child? No, he understood as a three-year-old. He knew the baby wasn't there and the baby was going to come into the house, right? It's a very important thing to understand. And so that is um, a way in which we might think about uh, the Old Testament and the teachings that God gives to the nation of Israel in the Exodus. Uh, They are children and they're understanding. They're barely understanding the concept that they are supposed to respond to God and righteousness, and that there's such a thing as righteous and unrighteous, and that they have to understand clean versus unclean, or sacred versus profane. These very concepts are foreign to them as children. And as they grow in their understanding, they become adolescents under the prophets. The Lord teaches them it's not just about your clothes, you know, it's not just about the condition of your skin, it's about the condition of your heart. I'm um, asking you to have a clean heart and to um, all of you uh, in the cleanliness of your heart, choose my ways. And then finally in their maturity, uh, the Lord comes and in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. So that purity of heart, which is faith, is um, finally united in this deep, mature understanding. Does that mean that the teachings of Exodus are wrong? Not at all, but they're teachings to children. And uh, they're a way in which of bringing them into an understanding of being clean and holy and our dwelling with God. And so this uh, understanding is applied to the foreigner, it's applied to the eunuch, because uh, there was a practice among foreigners to um, castrate themselves. Uh, This is uh, something that pagan cultures always do, and as we see a rise in pagan cultures around the world, we see a rise of people castrating themselves, right, in many different ways. And, uh, and this is a, a, a way of understanding a, a dirtiness because of their unwillingness to procreate for the kingdom of Israel. And the Lord is saying, keep away from these people that practice these things. Separate yourselves from them. The way that we talk with um, children on the playground, we say, don't talk um, with children who are going to do these things. Or don't make friends with people that are going to have these practices. And then in maturity, we understand that, yes, I'm not going to go and be their friends, but I can't always separate myself, right? I'm going to have to make choices for myself. And this is what uh, the Lord is teaching in Isaiah. He's teaching um, now to the foreigner and to the eunuch. He's saying uh, what makes you unclean or clean is uh, righteousness and joining yourself to me. So now he's um, offering this invitation that had always been there. It had been there from the time of Abraham, that he was going to be a blessing to all nations. But now in the prophet Isaiah, he's speaking to all these nations. He's speaking to those who have been castrated, uh, whether by somebody else or by nature, uh, that they have a way to enter into the kingdom of God, and that is by choice, by choosing. And not just by choosing, but by holding fast. 
He says in Isaiah 56, uh, verse 4, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. This is a very simple explanation for those of us that understand free will and understand that we are continually not only choosing the Lord, but we're then having to hold fast to Him, right? That we're having to maintain that faith and that loyal relationship that um, we understand is purity is offered to each of us individually. And we have a choice to make about whether we're going to accept that call, accept that choice, and then maintain that purity. So the Lord says to the foreigner, he says to the eunuch, you have a choice to make, and not only a choice, but a life to live in in maintaining that kind of purity, maintaining that that cleanliness uh, that we understand as faithfulness, as loyalty. So now we see how uh, the sacred and the pure and the clean and the faithful are lined up as practices of the heart that God calls each of us to participate in. Of course, this is brought to uh, a very stark contrast in the particulars of the Canaanite woman that Jesus goes to in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this concept of the sacred and profane had been brought front and center by the Pharisees, and they do this over and over again. They say, why aren't you keeping the Sabbaths, or why aren't you maintaining uh, the ritual purity of our fathers? And Jesus is introducing um, to them the concept that it's not just about your hands. It's not just about how you wash your clothes. It's not just about um, washing your hands before dinner. If you think that's what it is, you're stuck in this childhood understanding of faithfulness and loyalty. And you need to come into a mature understanding about the condition of your heart. And they do this all through chapter 14. So after um, last uh, lesson where he walks on water and he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he goes to Genesareth, and this is where the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews kind of um, attack Jesus, and they want to ask these purity law questions. And he, of course, um, brings it back to the condition of the heart. And it's there, from there that he leaves and he goes to an unclean land. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. This is the very edge of where the broadest borders of the nation of Israel were brought. And Tyre and Sidon is associated with the Canaanites, right? The Canaanites are the people that they were supposed to be kicking out of the land, right? That the Israelites were supposed to be warring against and cleansing themselves from. And now he not only goes to a Canaanite region, but he comes face to face with a Canaanite, right? Um, This has been um, 1,500 years now. They were supposed to have removed these people from the land and to have nothing to do with them as foreigners. And, of course, the disciples are holding to that. They're saying, tell her to go away, right? We will... Well, I don't want to have anything to do with her. They're, they're shocked again, right? Just as they were shocked um, when, they, um, when they met with the woman at the well, right? Um, they're saying, why would you have anything to do with the Samaritan? And even more so, because they are the lost children of Israel, would you have anything to do with the Canaanite woman, right? Send her away. And Jesus affirms this. He says, I am sent to the children of Israel. This is my call. I was sent to God's people. And the woman responds in a radical way. Not only does she maintain that he's Lord and maintain his kingship, but she maintains his generosity and mercy. She says, I know you. I know who you are. You're a Lord of generosity and mercy. And she recognizes Jesus as Lord in a way that the Pharisees haven't, in a way that the nation of Israel hasn't, in a way that the Judeans haven't. 
right? But she recognizes him and she calls him um, by this honorific and then she maintains, she comes back to him. And, and Jesus then clarifies, he says, you don't give what belonged to the children to dogs, right? He's maintaining this very clear distinction. When he does this, he's insulting her. I don't think there's any two ways of, around that, right? This is an insult, right? Calling somebody a dog is an insult. Dogs are not clean animals, right? They eat their own vomit. We can go into all kinds of other details about why dogs are considered unclean, especially by Judeans. Uh, but they're not children, right? And so when he calls her a dog, this is an insult. And you know, she doesn't respond to the insult. Our nature would be to, to become upset, right? And to say, you've upset my dignity, my personal dignity, and you've, you've offended me, and so now I have the right to attack you or to make you my enemy. And she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. She maintains her humility and fear, which is what the Lord always teaches us to do, right? To maintain our humility and our fear of God. She maintains that, and she says... Even the dog gets crumbs. And that's all that I need from you. So she maintains her loyalty, right? Her fixedness, her stand firmness to God, even in the midst of insult and the recognition that she has no social standing or expectation to receive what it is that she's asking for. It's not her own credentials. It's not her own actions. It's not her own understanding of worth. It is strictly based on the nature of God himself. That he is holy and that he is merciful and that he is kind. And this is her only claim. And this is faith. Kierkegaard says purity of heart is to will one thing. The will of God. She is exercising purity of heart by focusing upon the will of God and his nature. And this is the method by which we are grafted into the holy root of Christ. Right? Christ is the root that cannot be destroyed. He is the olive root that brings about the holy and the, the anointing and the healing and the, the food um, that is eternal life. Right? And this is what St. Paul tells us uh, the root is. Right? When we have hope in the nourishing root, it is hope in everlasting life. And we hope to be grafted into that root of everlasting life. Now again, it was uh, the nature of the nation of Israel to be um, made into this root, right? They were formed and they were led out of um, the Egypt and they were um, formed in the ways of holiness and this is their, um, their birthright. Uh, but St. Paul says uh, they still have to choose it and they still have to participate right in the ways of God. There's no way to be living in the root of holiness and to not be holy. There's no way to mix the sacred with the profane, to go back to the tabernacle practices of uh, Israel and the Exodus, right? You cannot bring, even if you are a child of Israel, the profane into the sacred holy place. And so the Lord is again reminding them, it doesn't matter who your dad is, you still have to pra practice holiness and cleanliness and purity of heart to come into and participate in that root of everlasting life. And if you don't do that and you insist on uh, practicing the profane, the dirty, right, the ways of sin, the ways of anger and unrighteousness, then you'll be cut away. You'll be removed. 
like any good gardener would do. Not out of anger at the branch, not out of um, spite towards the branch that doesn't bear fruit, but simply to remove it so that there's a place where fruit can be born. And the Gentile is promised here by St. Paul that they would be grafted in. Grafting is a miraculous practice, right? It's an incredible thing, the way that it works, right? We're cut down to the quick. The, the root is cut down and the branch that's going to be grafted is cut down until that vascuous um, uh, membrane, right? That place where uh, you know air is able to transfer and where the, the moisture is able to transfer. And so um, this wound is kind of made into both and then they're brought together in their woundedness, right? And they're, they're um, maintained together. They're held together one wound to another wound. And so the wound of Christ and his sacrifice is um, married to the wound of our humility and our, our willingness to be low. And when that happens, uh, we participate in the kindness that is the reason why we allow that woundedness, right? It is the kindness of Christ that leads into the cross. It's the kindness of our hearts that allows ourselves to be humbled before him. And this is what St. Paul says is the the... the the blood that runs through us and this branch, right? Uh, now then, the kindness and the severity of God, the severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. That is the sap of God, kindness. And it is the sap that we must choose and that we must hold fast to and that we must maintain. That is the holiness, that is the cleanliness, that is the, the, the love, the faithfulness, the loyalty of our being bound to Christ. And it's going to be challenged as soon as you walk out the door. <laughs> Maybe you'll have a thought in the next moment that will challenge it. He says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Let not the Canaanite woman say, I will not receive a scrap. Because it's not about us. It's about him. And we're not worthy. And we're not clean. And we're not good enough. And we haven't done what we're supposed to do. And the church is a mess. And we've got all kinds of problems. And people are coming and going in the world, and there's all kinds of doom and gloom. But it's not up to us to fix. It's not up to us to defend. Right? Our faith, our hope, is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is good, and he is kind, and he is eternal, and he has already risen from the dead, and he has already defeated death. And our only choice is to choose him and to accept whatever scrap he would give because it is good enough for us.